Well, good morning. Uh, as we say at South City Church where I worship, find your ticket stub and head to your seat. Uh, it's an honor to be with you today. We are going to be looking at the book of Romans. So as uh, Paul and Matt reached out, they asked if we could do a quick look, one passage. And so as I reflected on it, I said, we need to look at Romans 8. Uh, many people understand the book of Romans to be Paul's kind of systematic theology, and certainly it has a robust theology. But Paul is writing to people who are struggling. He's writing to people who are struggling to know how to relate to one another in the church. He's struggling, uh, struggling to know how Christ, to be a Christian in an anti-Christian world, struggling to know how to deal with their own temptations and sins, and struggling to know how to deal with things like disease and, and death. Everything that Paul writes, all of his theology is written in service of the church. And one of the things that I want to just acknowledge is as we turn to this text, I feel the temptation getting introduced as a professor of New Testament to try and show off, right, to try and be really, really smart and show you that we at Covenant are smart people. But here's the thing. We don't need sophistication. What we need is God's truth. We need Him to speak into our lives and into our struggles. And Paul does that here in Romans 8. I will read verses 18 through 25. There Paul says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy of comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray together. Father, as we hear from your word, we pray that your spirit would move and that you would bring comfort and that you would bring wisdom and insight into who you are and how you are redeeming us. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please be seated. Yes. There we go. Uh, well, let me say again, it is an honor to be with you. I bring uh, welcome from Covenant Seminary. Tom and Tara send their love. I'm not sure if I should say I'm sorry that we uh, hired him as the president. I'm not exactly sure how to navigate that. They also say happy birthday to Pastor Paul. So... Um, especially Matt and Aaron, as they have been emailing me, they have been very patient. Uh, it's taken me a while to get information to them, 
And part of the reason why is because of a text message that I got from my wife just a few weeks ago. She said this, I can't do this anymore. I need to go to the ER. That was a kind of sobering text message that came in. It was after, a few weeks prior to that, our daughter had gotten some sort of stomach virus that was pretty bad, but she was out of school for a week and everything was fine. And so when Catherine started having the same symptoms, you know, I wasn't too worried, but the symptoms were much more intense. She was experiencing a lot of abdominal pain. And so I went off to work on Monday just expecting to come home and find her still recovering, but I got that text. And so obviously, I immediately got in the car and started heading home, but as I called, I found out that our kind neighbor had taken her to the ER and had admitted her, parked the car, and gone into the ER and was sitting and waiting with her. That's such a kind, good neighbor. And as I relieved him and then sat down, I had probably the worst five hours of my life in a long time. She was in intense pain. She was begging for relief. She was asking for help. She was praying quietly to the Lord, please make it stop. Well, after two hours of that in the waiting room, we finally got into uh, you know, a room in the back, and it took another hour before they could figure out how to you know, administer some pain medication that would actually help. We were waiting for a long time, and it was difficult. It was not an easy moment. That type of waiting is something that we can all get used to, that we can all relate to, we're all familiar with it, that waiting in the midst of suffering. I don't know what kind of suffering you are dealing with right now. I don't get to know that. But what I do know is that we all suffer. Sometimes it is suffering as a result of our own sin, of our own temptations and the choices that we make and the challenges that we bring into our lives. Sometimes it's due to the brokenness of our bodies and the fact that we all experience disease and eventually death. Sometimes it's due to other people's sins. Sometimes it's due to the realities of war and strife and all sorts of things that we cannot fix in this world. I do not know how you are suffering, but what I do know is this. Suffering when it is intense can be very difficult, and it can cause us to begin to question whether or not God is good. Now, the reality is it's not just suffering that's intense. It can be all of the little things too, right? It, it doesn't just have to be some intense form of pain or difficulty. It could be the ongoing reality that maybe marriage is challenging. It could be the reality that maybe uh, your child is difficult, or maybe your parent is difficult. It can be small things like bad drivers on the road that drive me crazy, right? It can be all sorts of challenges. And when we deal with those sufferings, when we come to that reality, we have to recognize that our culture, we live in a culture that is not comfortable with talking about suffering, is not comfortable with living in suffering, and tells us in various different ways that if you are suffering, it's probably because either you do not 
you have not worked hard enough to get out of your suffering, or you do not own enough things to deal with that suffering. And if it's not something that you're doing, then it's someone else's fault. There's someone else that is to blame, and you are a victim as a result of the suffering going on in your life. And that's difficult to deal with because here's the thing. The Bible tells us time and time again that God's people will suffer. We've read it in various different ways throughout our service. We saw that James in the reflection said, count it all joy, my brothers, when various trials come upon you, because they will. Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Jesus Himself said to His disciples, the servant is not above the master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. All of that, the intense suffering and the accumulated suffering can cause us to lose hope, to become cynical, and to wonder if God is faith. Is God is faith. God is good. What is going to enable us? What is going to enable us to endure in the midst of our suffering? And what Paul is going to say to us, what is going to enable you and I to endure suffering is the hope of glory. It's to be able to see the goodness and the profoundness of what God is redeeming us to so that as we become captivated with glory, we can endure and we can even wait eagerly in the midst of our suffering. Now, as we turn to that, the reality that he does is he comes, he, he teaches us that through three different ways. And the first way that he teaches us that is by talking about the fact that the creation itself is waiting eagerly for this revealed glory. Did you see it in verse 20? There Paul says, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. What Paul is saying is this, uh, the, the reality is all of creation, not just us, all of creation, even the non-human creation, is enduring suffering. And the question is why? And what we need to see is that Paul is intentionally reflecting back all the way to Genesis 1 and 2. There, if we remember, God had warned Adam and Eve that on the day that you eat of the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. But then, when they actually do that, the warning that, that comes to them from Genesis 3, the, the curse that's pronounced, if you look at Genesis 3, 17 through 19, Paul is reading this, when after they rebel and they, uh, and they bring sin into the world, God says to Adam these things, because you have done this and eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Did you hear that in Romans 8.20? The creation was subjected to futility because of him who subjected it. You see, the reality is, is that God created you and me. He created all humanity to rule, to have dominion over all of creation. And we were supposed to do that in righteousness and goodness and peace and harmony. But when we sinned and rebelled against God, 
that sin did not just affect us. It affected everything that we have dominion over. We are the curse upon the ground. The creation is cursed because of us. And the reality is, is that all of the ways in which we mistreat this creation, the ways in which we don't use it for God's purposes. Let me find some place in my note where I have this all written down, right? So it's here somewhere. But all the ways in which we, uh, in which we misuse and uh, treat one another, the, the sin in which we harm one another, all of that affects the created order. And so what Paul says is the creation itself is groaning. So it's creation is cursed because of us, and therefore the creation is groaning. Why? Because it's laboring underneath our poor stewardship. It's laboring underneath our sinful dominion. It does not respond to us the way that it should, because we do not rule over it the way that we should. And therefore, what we need to see is that the creation will be freed when the sons of glory are revealed. What does that mean? That means that on the last day when Jesus comes back and when we are made new, when we are what is called glorified and all sin has been removed from us and we live righteously and purely before the Lord in His creation, the creation itself will no longer be cursed because humanity will no longer be in rebellion. Now, why does Paul tell us that? Why does he say that? It's because when you and I suffer, we have some temptations. The first temptation is to become isolated and to become self-absorbed, to think, I am the only one that is going through the suffering. And what Paul is saying to us, actually, not just you and not just everyone else, but the whole of creation is also suffering along with you. The whole of creation is waiting the same way that you are waiting. And he doesn't do that to shame you. Just wanna, he doesn't say, you think you've got it bad. Look, the whole creation's got like seven billion people to deal with. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you are not alone. But then two, he's also recognizing the fact that when we suffer, we can try and find someone to blame for our suffering. Who is responsible for this reality? And Paul says, actually, you and I are all culpable. We are all, in ways, contributors not only to our own suffering, but to the suffering of all of creation. But then third, here's the thing that he's beginning to do. He's beginning to remind you that one day, one day, all things will be made new. We just read that in Revelation 21. Heaven will come down to earth. God Himself will dwell with us. We will be His people. There will be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things had passed away. The creation itself, all of God's world, will be right again. And He wants us to see that and see the bigness of that. It is not just the end of pain for you. It is the beginning of beauty it is the beginning of shalom that God puts in front of you. So, as we see that creation is waiting eagerly for that freedom, that enables us then to move to the second point, to wait eagerly as well. Did you see that in verse 22 and 23? 
Paul says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the chains of childbirth until now, and not the creation only, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits grown inwardly as we await the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Why is it that we are groaning? Well, the simple answer is because we are fallen. You see, what Paul is doing is he's assuming everything that he has been uh, unpacking throughout the course of the, the book of Romans. So, in chapters 1 through 3, he spends the entire time defending the fact that every single person, every human being is sinful and fallen short of the glory of God. He reminds us of the fact that we have rebelled against God. And it's so subtle in the ways that he says that. In verse 23, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Well, to have the first fruits, that means that we needed to receive the Spirit again. We needed some sort of redemption. We, have the, uh, we eagerly await adoption. It means that we have lost relationship with God and need to be adopted back. We are saved in the hope of the gospel, he says in verse 24. There are any number of ways in which this text assumes the reality that you and I are fallen and sinful. But it's not only that we're fallen and sinful, it's also the fact that we have been changed. If you know the book of Romans after chapter 3 and chapters 4 and going, he talks about the reality of this justification that we have in Jesus and then the sanctification, the change that comes as the Spirit indwells us and changes us. But here's the irony. When you and I are changed, when we receive the Spirit, our suffering gets worse. It doesn't get better. It gets worse because we begin to see what God made us for. We begin to see the beauty of relationship with Him that we were supposed to have and how often we falter we begin to see the ways in which we should live in peace and harmony and love with one another and how easy it is to be angry and spiteful. We begin to see all of the ways that we have fallen from what we're supposed to be. So as we are changed, we have the first fruits of the Spirit and we can begin to pursue that, but our suffering becomes worse because we see better what we have lost. Now, as a result of that change, you and I can wait, and we can wait eagerly for more, not like the way that I waited in the ER, right? When I was in the ER, I was waiting angrily. I was looking and glaring at staff workers and saying, don't you see what's going on here? Why are you taking so long? I was angry because I was scared. That's not the type of waiting that Paul is talking about. The type of waiting that he's talking about is more like my daughter on Halloween. So just a few weeks ago, we celebrated Halloween, right? And so we live on a beautiful street that has lots of neighbors that are very generous. And usually when we go for a walk on the street, she is like a five-year-old that's like, I am so tired. And she's walked about 100 yards, right? And we usually have to turn around and go home. But on Halloween, she is sprinting. <laughs> right? Because she can see the light at the next house. And she knows what's there. 
and she wants it. She is waiting eagerly. She is actively looking forward to the reality of what is ahead. That type of waiting is the waiting that Paul is encouraging us to do, because what he wants us to do is to see. Did you see at the end of what he said there in verse 24? In this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? What he's saying there is, listen, I'm not sitting around hoping to see my wife on our wedding day. That day has already happened. I have seen. That is no longer a hope I have. We don't hope for things that we have seen. But if we do have this hope, we wait patiently. What he's wanting to do is to give us a glimpse, a moment, an understanding of what God is doing and wait for it with anticipation so that we know that even as we see partially now, we will see fully then. And what is going to enable you to do that with patience? How are you going to be patient as you wait eagerly? It is to know that you are waiting eagerly. The creation is waiting eagerly as our Lord works faithfully. He is not waiting. He is at work. And that's what we see going on in this text. See, we have a couple of different things that happen in verse 20. The reality is that the Father has given us a promise. We can see it in this little statement. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. That's talking about the creation. The creation didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to rebel against God and see how that goes. And all of a sudden, it was subjected to futility. No, it was subjected because of Adam. And did you see that little statement at the end? In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. Now, that's talking about God. God subjected the creation to futility and hope because of the reality of what Adam did. God said, cursed is the ground because of you. And when it says he subjected it in hope, that is not like the football games that we watched yesterday where you have the Hail Mary pass at the end of like, let's throw this one out there and see how it goes. That's not the type of hope that we're talking about. He's talking about the hope of his promises. This is going back to the reality of even Noah and the promise that he made to them. I will deal with the problem of human sin, but not by getting rid of humanity. I will bring redemption. Cursed is the ground. He remained committed to the fact that we have dominion even when we rebelled against him. And so he gave us the hope of the promise that he will bring redemption to us and thereby redeem all things. But then the text goes on. I didn't read the last few verses that are in your bulletin, so let's read them now. Not only does he promise, but there in verse 26 it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, there's a couple things in there. The first is the reality that we see God at work through his promises to use even our suffering for our good. Now, I know that verse 28 has been leveled as a sledgehammer against many people in the midst of suffering. As you are going through something difficult, someone with good intentions has said to you, well, all things work together for good, and that is soul-crushing. And what we need to hear, what we need to see is not the fact that God is saying, listen, you shouldn't feel like you're suffering. He's not minimizing your suffering. He's not saying it's no big deal. He's not saying you should just power through it. What he's doing in all of this passage is contextualizing our suffering. Our suffering, when we get to glory, as bad as it is right now, will feel small. That's how weighty glory is. Our suffering, therefore, we know, even in the midst of all of its hardness, even in the midst of all of its pain, God can use it. That's what this is being said. It's intended to bring comfort in the midst of the reality of it. And we do not serve a God who is obtuse. Did you see what else? So, it's not only the Father has promised to bring redemption, but the Spirit groans. The Spirit likewise helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray, so the Spirit intercedes, and He groans with words too deep. Do you remember me saying that when we are changed, when we receive the Spirit, we begin to see just how far we have fallen? Well, guess who sees perfectly just how far we have fallen? It is the Spirit. You and I do not even fully understand the depths of our brokenness, but the Spirit does. And when you are at a loss for words, when you cannot fully articulate what it is that you are going through, the Spirit sees and He is more deeply grieved than you or I will ever be. There are moments when we think, how is it that God can let this happen? And in that moment, what we are saying, and as, as understandable as it is, is God does not care about my pain as much as I do. And the Bible again and again and again says God cares far more deeply about your pain than you do. And that's why we need to see, lastly, the fact that the Son is the one who has suffered as well. Did you see it in the text? God who, uh, for those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. Paul is talking about suffering, and he's saying that is an act of being conformed into Jesus. It is a reminder. Not only do you have a God who has promised to redeem you, who has promised you glory, and who groans for you, you have a God who has come and suffered in your place. We serve a God who has wounds for us. 
Jesus died for our sins so that we might have the promise of glory. If that is not your hope, I would encourage you to consider him who endured suffering at the hands of sinners. But if it is, time's up. Hey, talk about, you know, ending the punchline, right? But hey, I'm on time. Look at that. I didn't know that it was actually going to go off like that. <laughs> know this. Jesus died so that we might have the promise of glory. Hope in that. Wait eagerly for that. And that will enable you to walk through suffering. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you praise. You are a God who has come for our redemption. You are a God who endured the cross, and you did so because of the joy set before you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to endure our suffering as you have set the joy of the hope of glory, where all things will be made new, and you yourself will dwell with us as your God. Be with us now as we come to your table and feast with you, we pray in your name. Amen.